today on CityCast Denver. Denver Public Schools is getting a new superintendent, and the person could start as soon as this fall. But the kids are all right because they've got a say in who the new school leader will be. These three candidates were interviewed publicly um, by a group of students. And yes, you should care about who gets picked to be the new superintendent, even if you don't have kids, because this role can shape our whole education system. Those children are going to grow up and and be the future leaders of, of Denver. And so, you know, you want schools to be serving them well. You want schools to be serving them equitably. You want children in all parts of the city to be getting Uh, the same quality education. Today is Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Let's take a look at the news. Today, Denver will see a high of 65 degrees with some rain and clouds expected throughout the day. After a pandemic hiatus, the Taste of Colorado returns. This time, the Labor Day Festival, usually taking place in Civic Center Park, will be spread throughout downtown, with food, music, and art happening along the 16th Street Mall and beyond. Meanwhile, in Aurora, Mayor Mike Kaufman announced Monday that he will be proposing a camping ban for Colorado's third largest city. This comes after the mayor said in January that he was not considering such a ban until he better understood homelessness. I guess he's made up his mind. On paper, Susan Cordova was the most qualified superintendent for Denver Public Schools. As you all know, the Denver Public Schools has been an incredibly important and meaningful part of my life um, over the last 31 years. She attended Denver Public Schools. She taught in DPS classrooms. She served as a DPS principal. She even worked as a DPS administrator. And in late 2018, the school board picked her to be the new superintendent to take all of their policy directives and put them into action for the 90 plus thousand students who attend DPS. I grew up here in Denver. I've raised and educated my children in the Denver Public Schools, and I'm proud to have spent my career as an educator here. But in late 2020, less than two years after taking on the job, she announced she was leaving. It truly is bittersweet to announce that I've decided to accept a position in Dallas. Not only did she leave DPS after three decades, she's left her hometown for a job in Dallas. The search is on for Cordova's replacement. The superintendent position is one that will shape DPS's policy moving forward and in turn have a hand in shaping our city for students. All right, all right, we're going. It's just you and me. (laughs) Melanie Asmar is a reporter for Chalkbeat Colorado, who's covered school board races and the ongoing search for a new superintendent of Denver Public Schools. I'm curious, what is the role of the superintendent in DPS and why is it so important to the city overall? Yeah, so the superintendent um, is in charge of sort of putting in place, implementing the school board's um, vision and direction. So they are sort of the, um, you know, like the executive director sort of of the school district. And uh, the school board sets policy and then the superintendent puts that policy into place. And that's interesting to me because we've had sort of a shakeup in the last couple of years with both of those positions. So first, I guess let's start. Can you talk about why Superintendent Susana Cordova resigned in the midst of the pandemic? Yeah. So she she was like very diplomatic when talking about it. You know, she just kind of said this opportunity came up in um, in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I, I decided to take it 
you know, Dallas reminds me a lot of of Denver when I was younger and when I was growing up. And, you know, this is a new opportunity that I'm excited about. So she was very diplomatic, but people sort of around her and, you know, folks who watched the school district closely wondered if the, the school board had sort of played a role slash pushed her out of the position. And, you know, when asked about that, she did say things like, um, it's really hard when a district doesn't have an overall vision. Um, it's really hard to get anything done. And that is a school board's job is to kind of make the vision and mission and set the policy and set the kind of course for the district. And so, you know, in those comments, she was kind of implying that that was missing and that 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 made her job really difficult. But again, she was like very, you know, sort of diplomatic about it. And can you talk about what happened with the school board or what the what the school board went through that maybe created this sort of rift or tension with the superintendent in the first place? So there are seven people on the Denver school board. And for the past decade and a half for a long time, there had been a majority of of the school board members had sort of um, agreed with this philosophy that often gets called education reform. So education reform is just sort of like a philosophy about how to improve schools. Some of the like key things that people who, you know, ascribe to this philosophy believe, you know, they believe in sort of holding schools um, accountable for their test scores. If, If schools, you know, aren't getting high test scores, aren't meeting the needs of kids, um, what Denver would would do was oftentimes it would um, sort of turn around or close those schools. Turnaround can sometimes look like another uh, like another person comes in and takes over the school, takes over management of the school. Uh, maybe the school changes its name. Sometimes schools would would close completely, and then another school would kind of move into that building. Um, and sometimes those other schools were uh, charter schools which are independent of the school district. So the, the school board approves them, but they operate sort of separately. So they have their own board of directors. They're their own separate nonprofit. And, you know, they're controversial because uh, some people believe they sort of like siphon students away from the traditional public schools and with the students goes the funding. And so some people see them as a way to like weaken traditional public schools. I think um, some of them are very high performing. Some of them post very high test scores, including um, for students of color and students from low income families. And so, you know, the, the flip side of that argument is like they're getting great results for kids, some of them. So those are kind of some of the, the key tenets of, of education reform. It's basically like you give schools more autonomy and then you hold them, you know, hold them accountable. And uh, what happened recently was that there was an election in 2019, and a majority of candidates got elected who uh, do not necessarily believe in education reform and who were supported by the Denver Teachers Union, which has, um, has a lot of concerns about some of the strategies that education reform uses. 
But this idea of school reform that the board, before sort of the upset in 2019, when a bunch of the members were not reelected and new members came in that were not for reform, uh, Superintendent Cordova came in on the reform sort of idea or because that was happening before she became superintendent, right? This move towards school reform. Yeah. So, you know, sort of whether or not Susana believed in, Susana Cordova believed in in school reform, I think is like a, a hotly debated <laughs> topic. Some people saw her as a reformer. Some people saw her as more like in the middle. She, you know, came up through the DPS system. She was a teacher, then she was a principal. Then she, you know, worked for the central office as like a, an administrator until eventually she was assistant superintendent for several years. And a lot of that, the latter sort of, you know, last 15 years of her career, she was working for superintendents who really believed in school reform. Um, this was the era when, um, you know, uh, Manuel High School was closed, Montbello High School was closed, um, West High School was kind of broken up into smaller schools. Those were all school reform strategies to try and improve test scores and try and um, improve education for for kids that also had a lot of backlash. So Susanna worked for those superintendents, so she kind of got that reform label, but she was never in charge of charter schools. She was never, she was always in charge of like the district run schools. And so, you know, I think she sort of saw herself as more in the middle. Her husband is a banker who works on financing for charter schools. And I think some people, people who don't like reform kind of pointed to that and said, aha, she's a reformer. But I think, you know, regardless of of where she was, there was definitely that perception. And I think that followed her into her superintendency and made things difficult for her to kind of, you know, forge her own path because people kept saying that she was really tied to these past administrations. And so now that she's she's gone, there's this search going on for a new superintendent. Um, what does the process look like? to find a new, how does this work to get a new superintendent for DPS? So that's kind of the school board's like biggest job is to like hire and fire the superintendent. They are the superintendent's boss. And so 38 candidates applied and they've now whittled that down to three finalists. Interesting. And so the next part of this process is the, the school board will ultimately decide between these candidates, right? Yes. So they had like a public um, interview last week these these three candidates were interviewed publicly um, by a group of students and then by a group of community members. And each interview was about like two hours. It was over Zoom. It was live streamed. But, uh, you know, aside from those public interviews, I think they've been meeting with a ton of people um, privately. They, I think they've met with the teachers union. Um, they've met with principals. They've met with community groups, um, you know, who are all sort of... Uh, asking questions and, and vetting them and giving feedback to the to the school board. Um, and the board has said they'll make a decision in early June. So it's, it's coming up pretty soon and it could be as soon as for the next school year. Yes, that is the hope. And why should someone who lives in Denver but doesn't have kids care about this issue? Because I feel like it's it's sort of a barometer of the health of our city, right? How our schools are doing. So how can we put this in the context for someone who maybe doesn't interact with the school system at all? So I think, you know, um, yeah, just sort of like as a as a um, public and social good, like you want the schools in your city to to um, 
to serve the, the children in your city well, because those children are going to grow up and, and be the future leaders of, of Denver. And so, you know, you want schools to be serving them well. You want schools to be serving them equitably. You want children in all parts of the city to be getting uh, the same quality education. And so, uh, yeah, I know lots of folks, school board elections are not generally high turnout. Um, it's It's hard to kind of get excited about it if you don't have kids and maybe even if you do to get excited about school board elections, but they really, um, you know, the school board makes uh, all sorts of, of really important decisions from, um, you know, things as simple as like, when should the first day of school be? Because it's really hot and not all schools have air conditioning in August to should there be police officers in schools? Um, what should we be teaching our children about history and, uh, you know, the history of this country? And so, yeah, the school board makes all sorts of really important policy decisions that will, like, shape the minds of the children of Denver. So we'll have a new superintendent probably in the next month or so. And then we have another school board election coming up, right, that everybody in the city can vote on. And that's going to be a big one. I feel like there's several seats up. So this could <laughs> this could all change again in the next, you know, six to nine months. Yes, there is a school board election coming up in November. Uh, you know, the balance of the board could shift again, you know, which, which I think is is uh, always a little bit probably nerve wracking for some of the the candidates, like the the makeup of the board can change every two years. And if the board's main job is to hire and fire the superintendent that hasn't happened like uh, a ton in Denver that a new board comes in and immediately gets rid of the superintendent, but it certainly is a possibility. Well, Melanie, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. In-person graduations are back, like at Northfield High School, which celebrated its class of 2021 yesterday. We talked to one graduating senior about this turbulent, completely crazy year of school and how the ceremonies this year don't look exactly like they did before COVID. It's pretty much just gonna be a regular graduation ceremony. We're doing it in a green space um, in Northfield, which is this neighborhood um, next to the school. This is Gabriel Watkins. I'm a senior at Northfield High School. For Gabriel and his classmates, yesterday's graduation was the culmination of a bittersweet senior year. Yeah, so our the biggest one that was canceled was our, our homecoming. Um, and then prom, they kind of they canceled our venue. So we had to do it in the uh, courtyard, which wasn't great, but it's better than nothing. So a lot of seniors weren't engaged in senior activities this year, too, because they're kind of just checked out doing their own thing right now. Northfield Seniors, Class of 2021, we are pleased to announce that we have secured an outdoor location for graduation. We will be at we have a few speeches, uh, masks will be required, all of the COVID precautions will be distanced. We'll have up to four guests per person, I believe, you know, so like my grandparents can't come. Um, it's really just going to be my immediate family, you know, and I have a bunch of people out of state that wanted to come to and they can't. So they get it, you know, they're, um, they're, of course, frustrated, but at the end of the day, you know, they don't want to um, be a nuisance and stuff. But um, I have one grandparent who lives out of state that I don't get to see very much. Um, and so I think this probably would hit her the hardest because she, uh, you know, I, I, last time I saw her probably three years ago, you know, she, <laughs> they've been talking about this day for a long time, you know, getting to see me graduate. So it's definitely tough to say that you can like, just tell them that they can't come, you know.
Aside from graduating itself, I'm, I guess I'm just excited about the whole thing. I'm not too disappointed about it because this, I don't think it will be too different, you know, obviously it would be nice to have it in like an actual venue um, instead of just a large field, but it could be worse, so. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, read the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our educational morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya! (laughs) Our cool... I haven't said cool in a long time.